me feel like I'm a part of something bigger. My favorite business show. Hands down the best B2B sales and marketing podcast. The ultimate resource for salespeople. George makes me want to conquer local. An authentic entertainer. Conquer Local with Vendasta. Here's George Leaf. It's another edition of the Conquer Local podcast. Over the years, I've had the privilege of meeting sales leaders, and sometimes I get the privilege of meeting sales leaders at organizations and then bringing them into our company. And our next guest, Mr. Neil Romanchuk, has uh, been in the sales business for a number of years, led high-performing sales teams, built startups, and I met him when he was the president of 411.ca, which is about a 110-person organization helping local businesses in the Canadian marketplace. That organization was uh, shut down and Neil was looking for something to do and we were able to connect over the COVID period and work out a deal where he is uh, joining the Vendasta organization as VP of Revenue. And I'd love to get him on the podcast to explain some of his philosophies on how to build high-performing sales organizations and what some of the most important things we should consider when we are building out a sales motion. And we are going to dig into Neil Romanchuk's brain when we come back on the Conquer Local podcast. Neil and I have known each other for a number of years, had the privilege of working together and uh, being involved in uh, the sales business. And and uh, thank you for inviting me into your past company to work with your sales team. I noticed very early in our interactions that you have uh, been uh, an expert in sales and building out sales organizations for quite some time. Could you give us a little bit of that background and some of the organizations that you've worked with over your career? Sure. Uh, I started working with Motorola as a uh, sales rep selling two-way gear and then very quickly branched into the, the cellular world when it first came on the on the market. Um, I then got into the telecommunications world back in the very early 90s with a company called Colnet, which became Sprint Canada, always in sales or business development type roles, uh, both direct and indirect type selling using dealers and agents and uh, and third parties. And then kind of branched out from there onto my own, got involved with um, a couple of startups. I uh, was involved with a startup called Riptide for about a year, a couple of others that, that, uh, that failed miserably, but there's great lessons in failing and kind of bounced around uh, from different projects that I was working on and landed with uh, an old business associate and started 411.ca back in 2006. And we built out a sales force there of uh, about 100 bodies and um, sold to small to mid-sized businesses across Canada, all sorts of online online digital services. So that was uh, that was a ton of fun too. It's interesting that you brought up, and and I can tell a true entrepreneur, you brought up the failed miserably part, and then you punctuated it with the lessons. Do you think you learned more from the from the mis- failures than you did from the successes, or what's your take on that? I, I think there's a bunch of ways to learn. I learned a ton when I was at uh, at Sprint Canada, just because there were some really awesome folks that I worked with, and uh, and worked for, and and some fabulous leadership. And learned a ton from watching them do a lot of really cool, really smart things. Uh, I had a few others where, you know, we made some mistakes and I watched some people, uh, 
that that maybe weren't quite so uh, so proficient at what they were doing, and and you learn from that too. And then when you're on a in a startup and you you're you're making stuff up as you go along, um, you find out very quickly what works and what doesn't. And and you know when when you you do have a a failure, you you can go back and learn from what went wrong, and hopefully in the next venture you don't go and make the same mistakes twice. We're going to talk today about. Um Again, with context, we've known each other for quite some time and we've had some spirited discussions at Concord Local Conferences, usually involving the odd beer. And, and you know, we really uh, have bonded over the science of selling and, and building out high-performing teams. And you have a couple of uh, what, what I call really cool vignettes. So let's, let's uh, cover the first cool vignette. And I love how you do it with just a couple of words. So... Yeah, there's a there's a, a structure that I, I use when when approaching uh, any sort of uh, market, if you will, and the structure is pretty straightforward. It, it breaks down to three simple balls, um, and and I wouldn't say any one of them is any more important than the other, although some are definitely more difficult than others. So the three balls are people, pitch, and list. So people, you want to make sure you've got the right people selling to to your target audience. Uh, they have to have the right kind of skill set. They've got to have the um, uh, the right type of motivators behind them. Uh, in some cases, you go out and find these people. In other cases, you find the raw material and have to uh, be able to build them. Um, pitch, it's simply, you know, everything to do with your product, where it's positioned and, and how you present it and how you, you uh, get your value proposition across to, uh, to your prospect. And then list, which in my opinion has always been the toughest nut to crack, uh, which is kind of funny given, you know, at 411.ca, we are a directory and we had intelligence on pretty much, you know, 80, 90% of the businesses in Canada, yet we still struggled with list. Um, but that that's uh, that's the third ball, is making sure you've got the right list, the most targeted at the, the type of businesses or the type of audience uh, that you're trying to uh, to attack. And, and I've always kind of worked under that structure. Let's, let's talk about list. List is the prospects or the existing base of customers that you're trying to sell into and and upsell. Why, why do you think that that's such a struggle? Because I do agree that, y- you know, your experience around struggle, we could put any startup agency, media company, managed service provider, and they would probably say the same thing. I need more leads. And how do I work with my customer base? Why is this so hard? Uh, I think that it's, there's so many moving parts here. And that word alone, moving, it, not only are there so many moving parts, but they are continually moving. So it's data. Um, you're trying to find uh, the, the the most accurate data. Uh, then you're trying to get get it refined. And, and getting accurate data is not a cheap venture. Uh, so whether you're you're building it on your own or whether you're scraping it from somewhere or you're buying it from a, a data provider, it, it is a very labor-intensive, expensive uh, proposition. Um, and and then you've got to try and take that data and make it you know a accurate, b uh, complete. So you want to make sure you have not only the basic data, which is name, address, phone number, but it would be great if you had more information around uh, you know the type of businesses that you're you're attacking, uh, the size of business. Uh, whether it be anything in terms of revenue or number of employees. Uh, and then there's, you know, do you, do you have accurate right party contact information? So when you call in, you know who you're looking for. Uh, and all of those things are are very, very um, mobile. They're changing all the time. And, and, uh, and, and then you want to make sure you've got enough of it. So um, 
getting five or six leads might be one thing, but when you need five or 600,000 leads, it's, that's something completely different. And we're talking about the, the scale of an organization where we've got these large organizations, large sales teams need to be able to you know, feed the team with the list. Um, it, it seems like it's insights that you're referring to when you talk about how deep the data is on that list of prospects or potential accounts. It's, it, it seems to be a challenge as well that a lot of organizations are trying to overcome. Have you found any tactics through your career that, that are better than others when it comes to getting those better insights on that list? Um, what we found was y- y- you start with raw data and there's no substitute for the time and the effort that you go through to touch the data. So we, we had the, the luxury, especially in our, our later years at 411, that um, we had enough people and bodies that we could touch, uh, you know, close to a thousand businesses a day and, uh, and, and, and not, not just reach out to them, but actually touch them and talk to them and update them. And whether or not they bought from us or, or not, um, we would update the data and then put it back into a process where we would touch them, you know, in most cases a quarter later. So uh, three months later, we would turn around and touch them again. And um, it's just having the systems in place to make sure that you can update the data, making sure that you have the right business rules in place, that that you don't overwrite uh, the the data with something else. Uh, And, you know, this is one of the challenges when you're using a a third-party data provider is they have their own business rules. And and if if you allow them to overwrite your own data, it can be very problematic. other than that, it's just uh, it's just staying on it, staying organized, and keep working it. So I think that if we were to unpack that around data, just for one last piece and and that list, because it's it's such a vital part. Um, we've got a sales organization. We are uh, we're calling on the customer. We're talking to the prospect. And what you're saying is making sure that you're keeping that, you know, augmenting the data and keeping the changes because you may want to assign it to another rep or you may want to take another swing at it, or you may, is that what we're referring to is making sure that that list uh, continues to live and breathe? And, you know, is that where we're going? Um, Definitely. And there's, there's a number of different other things that you, the possibilities, like maybe you shouldn't be reaching out to them again. Maybe they've asked you not to. Uh, there could be changes within your own product portfolio that all of a sudden make that, that particular prospect uh, a viable one to, to sell the new product to. Um, there, uh, there could be any other types of, uh, of, uh, of permutations that kind of come into it. Um, I, I would be remiss not to say, you know, the best type of, uh, of lead you get is, is a customer-initiated action where the customer turns around and does something, whether they pick up the phone and call in and on a 1-800 number or they fill out a form online or they start clicking, uh, you know, your, your digital ad somewhere. Um, those are the best leads. And when you, you, you have someone who, who performs one of those customer-initiated actions, you want to make sure you can record that and, and, and utilize that in the, the best way possible. And, and respond to it in a timely manner when they, you know, raise their hand. Absolutely. Yeah. There's been reams of data on, on your conversion rates and how they double and triple if you can get to them within the first, you know, 10 minutes of them uh, actually performing that act. One thing I noticed when I first walked into your organization and started to meet some of your people was that they were, um, you built a hell of a culture there. How as a sales leader, you know, president, vice president, whatever the position might be, you're responsible for the sales organization. How, how did you do that? How did you build that culture? 
Yeah, culture is a very interesting topic. Um, uh, the first thing I would tell you is we built it on purpose. So we sat down and had a conversation and, and deliberately decided on what the culture was going to look like and what the attributes would be. And uh, and was it going to be a, a sales culture or was it going to be something different? And, uh, and, and, and I think you have to take that, that, that step and actually make that decision before the group or the team or the, the, the culture takes on a life of its own and goes in a direction that maybe you didn't decide you wanted it to go. Um, so that, that would, I would say would be the first step. Um, where we landed was we wanted to drive a sales culture and we, we kind of nicknamed it PATH. And, uh, and we branded a lot of our internal communications with this PATH uh, logo. And it stands for performance, accountability, and fun. So we wanted to build a team, a culture that was um, very performance driven. So, you know, not that you'd do anything to drive your performance, but almost. And, uh, and in doing so, you had to be accountable. So you had to be accountable to yourself, you had to be accountable to your teammates, and you had to be accountable to your team as, as a whole. And then, you know, nobody wants to come to a place that's not fun, so we had to inject a little bit of fun. So you, we wanted to make sure that, that although we're all working hard and we're all driving performance and, and we're all holding each other accountable and, and being accountable to each other, uh, you have to make sure you're having fun along the way. And it's it's funny how sometimes that piece gets lost, although everyone wants to play with the fun. They always want to be the one that's that, that's organizing or having fun. But it's it's the one that sometimes gets lost because you're so myopically focused on performance. But we tried to balance those three components in our culture. The um, when, when I walked in the door, started to meet these folks, I realized that they believed in the goal that you had put forward for the organization, which was, you know, helping those local businesses. How, how hard is it to instill that into the culture that it's not about just selling the thing that you've been asked to deliver. It's more about having that true helping motion when you're working with the customer and really being concerned about the outcome that the customer is going to have. I, I was fascinated by how every single individual that I met had that focus. Yeah, that was, again, that, that was a, a conscious decision. What we saw early on was if it was all about driving commission dollars, that the top reps would potentially bring in sales that were not necessarily good for the company and uh, or doing things that were not necessarily in the best interest of, of the customer, uh, but just to drive a commission dollar. And, and then the worst part about it was the minute they found someplace that served a better commission dollar, we lost them because we didn't have anything tangible to keep them. Um, but when we sort of injected a little bit of purpose in their, in their life, and the way we went about it was, was messaging that, that, that kind of went like this. It was like there, there's 115,000 small businesses that go out of business every year, and, uh, and there's another 115,000 that start. And, and, you know, our job is to help those businesses survive and thrive. And every day you wake up, you need to save another business. It's, it's not unlike a, uh, you know, a healthcare worker going to, the, to their job at a hospital because there, there are people that need their help and need to be saved. There are these businesses that if we don't save them, they, they, they may not be around uh, next week or, or, or tomorrow. So, you know, they need to have their online presence fixed. People are looking for them online. They need to have the ability to, uh, to maintain their online presence and make sure that, that if, if there's reviews that are up there that aren't great, that, that they are on them and that they fix them and they, they know how to do that. And, uh, you know, most of these small businesses are really excellent at, at what they do. So if you're a plumber or a painter or, or a construction uh, company, you, you know, you, you paint things well and you, you, you might be a great plumber or whatnot, but they don't understand how to fix their online presence. 
And, you know, for us to be able to go out and help them with this and save them with this and, uh, and make it dead nuts simple for them was, uh, it gave our people purpose. And then, and, you know, we used to walk through the office and, and ask them, you know, like, you know, how many businesses did you save today? And, and that was a different way of saying, how many sales did you get? And that was fun. And it's a, it's a different focus. It's a focus on the outcome for the customer rather than the outcome for the sales rep and for the organization. Um, we've had some great discussions in the last couple of days because, you know, you are now in, inside our organization. The one interesting insight was the other day where we were discussing, um, how did you find all these really smart people? You're, the Toronto marketplace, just to a little context, Neil is it lives in Toronto and commutes in, and the Toronto marketplace is massive. The GTA is uh, six, seven million people. Very, very competitive when it comes to inside sales. I know that that was one of the struggles. Was you know how do you find the people? How do you get them trained? How do you? We have a little, you know, we have a, a captive audience here to be able to find talent. Um, how much harder is it moving from that large market to the, to the smaller market um, when, when it, you were trying to filter through that talent and find the right people? Yeah, uh, there, there were uh, advantages and disadvantages both ways. You know, uh, when you're in a large market like Toronto, you would filter through hundreds of resumes to find, you know, a handful uh, that were worth pursuing. Um, because there's just such a large market. And then when you did nail down and you, you went through the interviewing process and, and your selection criteria and you nailed down with, uh, you know, the, this handful of, of, uh, of candidates that you wanted to move forward with, um, ex- extremely competitive. And, you know, because we, we would be looking at a candidate saying, hey, that's a great candidate. We want to make, a, make an offer to him. Meanwhile, that candidate's already interviewed with 10 other companies and six of those are sitting there in the exact same position wanting to make offers. So it got, uh, it got very competitive and, uh, you know, we would try and compete with, you know, items of culture and, and how great it was to work here and fun and all that wonderful stuff. But at the end of the day, we had to compete on dollars as well. Whereas what I'm seeing here in, uh, in Saskatoon is... Um, first of all, like we don't have to filter through hundreds of resumes. Uh, so, and, and the ones that are coming through seem to be very, very qualified, at least the small ones that are a small amount that I've seen so far. And, and as I mentioned to you, George in the office was like, I'm just so impressed with the, uh, the, the quality and the, the, the level of intelligence and the professionalism of the crew that, that, that are there. And, and I've, I've done probably, I don't know, close to a dozen interviews so far. And I would say more than half of them have been really, really solid candidates and, 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 so, yeah, it's there's pros and cons both ways. Um, I wonder, you know, can we fill all that we need to fill uh, using just Saskatoon, or will we have to, you know, branch out into other uh, geographies? Um, but so far, we seem to be doing it. So, just a bit of a lesson, and thank you for bringing that up. As we have uh, sales leaders and, and organizations out there thinking, you know, I'd like to do inside sales. It's a, it's a place that I want to go, and I'm going to put that thing right in downtown Austin, Texas and uh, might be one of the most competitive markets because I know some people who lead sales organizations there. So deciding from a geographical area where you're going to place that sales organization is really important consideration. Um, And then I, I also would be remiss if I didn't ask this question was, you know, 
trying to attract that talent, is that a big piece as to why we needed, you know, you need to build this culture and you need to have the process in place. And so that when, when those people walked in the door to interview, um, you know, they found, they found a home or they looked down the hall and said, yes, I could see myself as a part of this organization. I can believe in the purpose of the organization. Yeah, I would say that's a huge part of it. Um, I mean, you're never going to get away from the topic of money. Uh, you know, salespeople are inherently driven by money, and, and at least the good ones that I've seen are. So, you know, they need to make sure that they have the income potential that they, they think they're, they're worthy of. But, you know, when a, when a, a salesperson, a high-caliber high salesperson walks in and sees a fun uh, atmosphere that's humming with high energy, uh, and, and they, they just feel like, you know, I want to be a part of that, as opposed to something that might be contrary to that, that's maybe quiet and slow. And, um, you know, that, uh, that's not going to fire up the, the real high performing sales, uh, sales professionals. So you, um, you know, you're definitely a veteran in the space. If you were to offer advice to somebody that was, um, in sales, what would be, you know, top couple of piece of advice if someone was looking to build their career or to expand their career? looking to expand their career. Um, I would say, and I'm just thinking back to my own process, I would say, you know, the product itself or the industry itself is less less important than perhaps the crew or the environment that uh, that you're working with. And uh, But I do think at the end of the day, y- you have to be selling a product that you can get jazzed about. You have to be selling a, a service you can get jazzed about. And, but I think, you know, it, probably more important is you need to work with a bunch of people that you know you can have fun with, that you know you can win with. And I think if you're trying to advance your career, I think you also want to work with, uh, with a team that you have a, a high level of comfort that says, they're going to invest in me, they're going to coach me properly, they're going to, you know, mentor me along. And, uh, and I would be looking for that type of, uh, of an environment if, if I was, if I was going to give someone advice on, on, on moving their career forward. It's interesting to me in the sales business, have you ever felt this way over your career where it's an industry where you make a lot of money and yet there isn't really a course that you can go to to take at a university or a technical school on how, they don't even teach it in high school on how to be a salesperson. Why, why is that? Yeah, I think... Um, I can't speak to high school, um, but I, uh, because I, I know that they do not, I've got two kids who've recently finished high school, that that's not something they offer. Um, I know community colleges and I know some universities are now offering courses that, that are related to sales. I know that there are, are uh, I think York University in Toronto has one that, that, uh, that is sales focused. And so it's, it's evolving, it's coming. It is an interesting question though, because uh, it's a profession that is ever evolving, yet the core basic principles have not really changed that much. And if you look at, you know, the core basic principles around marketing, uh, you know, the, the four simple P's of marketing, um, they haven't really altered that much, yet marketing has altered radically in terms of how uh, things have moved away from old traditional media like print and radio to, you know, digital advertising. Um, and yet the, the, the universities and colleges have been, uh, you know, having degrees and courses and whatnot in marketing forever. Um, but, but not in sales. They're just, I think they're just starting to dip their toe in it. And I, I think it is kind of a, an interesting question as well, because if I look across an organization, any, any kind of organization that has, that has a, a large presence, um, 
you know, typically 50% of their staff are in, in customer facing or sales type related positions compared to people that are in marketing or finance. They represent a much smaller percentage, but yet the universities and colleges have courses in marketing and finance. So it's a funny question. What, what about the switch from the transactional sale to the consultative sales approach? It's, I'm glad that you brought that up because it spurred this question. Um, you know, I, I remember being taught needs analysis and customer focused in 1988, but yet it's like this, oh, it's this new thing. We're going to go and we're going to consult the customer. Um, I just, I, I, it's, it's fascinating to me is how the industry hasn't really changed that much. <laughs> yeah. Um, the actual content of, of a sales presentation or sales call, I, I don't think structurally has changed at all. Uh, so a, a good sales call begins with some form of needs analysis and understanding what the customer uh, either needs or wants, and then being able to take whatever it is you're offering and 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 satisfy that need and want and be able to tell the customer, you know, what's in it for him and why uh, he or she should part with some of their hard-earned money to buy whatever product or service you're selling. Uh, that part hasn't altered the... Um, the ever-changing part is is kind of the, the the way it's delivered, and whether it was in the olden days, you'd knock on the door and deliver it face to face, and and then we went through a period of time where people were uh, were delivering these types of messages uh, through the telephone, and and now we're using all sorts of screen sharing technologies where we can deliver very elaborate presentations and do all sorts of wonderful demonstrations, uh, you know, by by taking over a customer's uh, computer screen or on their phone or whatever. Um, so I think the way that we deliver it has changed, but the actual structure of the call and the messaging really hasn't. It's it's pretty pretty consistent. What do you think happens in the next six eight months as we uh, evolve from this post COVID world and and uh, you know digital transformation is something that you know it's not a nice to have. It's not a something I'll do six months from now. You just have to be doing it. Yeah, I think there's a couple things that are uh, that are already the tide is turning. I mean, you, you see how e-commerce has been just exploding. So if you're not, if you haven't presented the ability for customers to access your product and services and buy them uh, online, you better do so quickly because th- there there's I don't see lineups of people lining up to get into stores and storefronts and malls and whatnot. And I think you know from a sales perspective, I think. Um, you have to figure out how to do business over the phone using screen sharing technology over a computer line and possibly even remotely because uh, you know in certain parts of uh, of the world uh, you know they haven't they haven't opened offices up for people to come into call centers or large sales centers or whatnot and and actually work so that they need to be able to figure out how to uh, how to lead motivate and uh, and track people's sales and activities in a rem- from a remote perspective as, as opposed to having them right in your office. So I think, and I think, you know, it's forced us to be able to figure out how to do that. Um, and some of the, you know, some of the technology providers have really benefited from this. Uh, I think it was a bit of a shot in the arm for them. It was great for companies like Zoom and, and whoever, right? So um, that, that's where I think things are going to keep progressing, but that, that's really not all that, uh, that, that's not all that radical of a thought. 
Well, Neil, welcome aboard the rocket ship of Vendasta as the new VP of Revenue. And when you're reaching out to the Conquer Local podcast, you can actually reach out to Mr. Neil Romanchuk right inside the Conquer Local community. So feel free to uh, pick his brain if you're looking for uh, sales ideas or uh, his wealth of knowledge with a long career and working with organizations to develop high-performing sales uh, function. And looking forward to his fighting the good fight together here in the weeks to come. So thanks for joining us in studio. Thank you. This was fun. I love vignettes and Neil's got a couple of great vignettes, people, pitch, and list. And he didn't say this in the podcast, but when he first told me those three words, he was like, I probably stole it from somebody else or heard it from somewhere, which is where all great ideas come from. You just take them from someone else and make them better. But it really distills down um, what a successful sales organization is all about. There's a lot of things that go underneath it, but without the right people, and without the right presentation and value proposition, and without the right list of prospects or customer base, you're really dead in the water. And then that ability to build out a culture and an organization that is focused on performance, focused on accountability, and has some fun in it. You know, our CEO, Brendan King, has a great line that you spend, you know, what is it, three quarters of your life at work? Wouldn't it be great to have a good time while you're doing it? I have another really good friend of mine who said once, he goes, you know, we're all going to make a lot of money. Wouldn't it be great to make a lot of money with people we like? I think that that's one thing that people forget. Work sometimes is not a lot of fun. It's important that we remember that it has to be challenging, but at the same time, it has to be something that you enjoy doing. And what Neil is really getting into is giving those people a reason to believe. And a lot of times it's not about selling the widget. It's about solving problems and it's about helping people. And I think that that really is one of the biggest ways that sales has changed is be focused on the customer, be focused on solving their problems, be focused on understanding them, be accountable to them. And at the end of the day, you end up getting that great organization that you feel good about going to work in the morning and feel good about going home at night and telling people about what you do. So thanks to Neil Romanchuk. Got him for just a few minutes. He's a busy guy, um, but got him for a few minutes here in studio. And as I mentioned, if you wanted to reach out to Neil or producer Colleen or uh, sound lounge guy Brent here, um, or T-Bone, our sound engineer, you just reach out to any of us right here on the Conquer Local community. And we would love to get your... Uh, questions, feedback, comments, concerns, debate, yelling, screaming, whatever it might be, we're looking to hear from you. And we have that conduit now, the community where you can reach in and ask questions. And there's a lot more people than just the three of us answering those questions, by the way. We've got a lot of smart Vendastians that will uh, help you out if you have any questions. We're working on season four and we're excited about season four. And we would love to get your feedback and your comments and maybe some ideas. So if you have some topics that you would like investigated, if you have some things you would like us to work on in our master sales training series, just reach out to us on the community, address it to producer Colleen, and then she will make sure that we are pointed in the right direction to come up with some great episodes in season four. My name is George Leith. I'll see you when I see you. You've been listening to the Conquer Local Podcast with your host, George Leith. Executive producers are Brendan King, Jeff Tomlin, and Danny Mario. Audio engineering, Sound Lounge by T-Bone. Marketing by Rory Lawford. Produced by Colleen McGrath. <laughs>